Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Houseless Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Peter Agostin, the producer of the show. Uh, and I'm, I'm here in Budapest. I'm, I'm, I was able to do two episodes while I've been here in Budapest, the land of my family. I'm first generation. I was born uh, in the States, but my parents came to America in 68, 69 and um, all of my relatives stayed. So I've been coming to Budapest since the mid 80s. Uh, actually, you know what, I, ca- I probably came in 80 was really the first year I came here. I was born in 79. So I know I came uh, when I was six months old with my mother. And then from there, I came a lot throughout the, uh, I would travel and visit here with my mother um, throughout childhood. Um, and here I am now, uh, all of 37 years old. Uh, it's 2017, and uh, I'm back in Budapest once again. And I love it. This is, I feel very much at home here, uh, but it has changed a lot since my childhood. Uh, in some ways, better. In some ways, it hasn't changed at all, you know. Um, but there's a new generation, a younger generation, and. Um, what was once uh, very difficult to communicate with and get uh, in touch with family and friends here in Hungary has now, of course, become, um, you know, as easy as uh, picking your nose. Uh, and <laughs> so anyway, um, I'm so thrilled that I was able to do it, uh, record another conversation while I was out here, do another episode. As uh, always, every episode is edited and engineered by CJ Stewart. In fact, um, he's moving right now. He lives in California. So if you guys didn't know that, um, yeah, so we're able to do this remotely. It's amazing. So I have a, a great conversation with a great Hungarian, a great promoter, a band manager, a booking agent. Uh, just um, uh, a lover of music, guitar collector, you know, backline um, connoisseur, Peter Podlovich, Podlovich, Peter, um, Petty. Uh, I hope that I'm not messing up the pronunciation of his last name. Now, I, I just don't like asking people on the mic to pronounce their names for them. So as an alternative, you're going to hear me possibly mispronounce someone's last name. So... Uh, yes, Peter and I just met pretty recently, although he's been working with bands and doing shows and bringing people in uh, to Hungary um, to perform since the mid 80s. So I wanted to just get a taste of that, of uh, a taste of the flavor of, of how that live music industry and the recording industry um, has uh, evolved and changed in Hungary and of course in Budapest the the you know the center of the the country really uh and get Peter's take on it and we had a great uh, chat I, I asked him about a bunch of Hungarian bands some you may be familiar with some you might not be familiar with at all hopefully if if you're just like a musicologist like record collector dude you might know some of the Prague stuff and of course you know Gabor Zabo um whom we talk about but there's some other great, like, um, experimental bands and rock, classic rock and roll stuff. Uh, many of you know, of course, Omega and Locomotive GT. Uh, so we talk about that and a bunch more. And he's brought in all types of amazing artists. 
uh, blues, jazz, rock, experimental, um, funk, and soul uh, over the years. And so we kind of just, it's like a great conversation with any promoter that's been doing it for, you know, 25, 30 years. So I know that the uh, some of the people that listen to this podcast um, love those kind of conversations. And that's really uh, the reason why I even started doing this to begin with, is to talk to those people behind the scenes um, that are, you know, dealing with the heavy lifting, if you will, of, of setting up shows and tours and dealing with artists and creating opportunities for people at whatever venue it might be. And Peter's done sold-out arena shows as well as big festival stage-style um, uh, productions to little tiny things. He actually had to run off and do a, um, do a gig with one of his artists, Little G, uh, right after our conversation. Yeah, because Peter actually has a label, too. Excellent Records, which it looks... He's only put out a couple releases, but definitely try to look for them. Um, that's XLX. NT records. Um, yeah, so we had this great conversation and I'm going to get to it in one sec. If this is your first time listening to the houseless podcast, and especially if you checked out my, I've been in the Parazol conversation earlier. Thank you. Please subscribe on iTunes. If you choose to listen to podcasts that way, if you can take one or two seconds to hit that rate button and even write a review if you like this, if you, you know, I'm going out of my way to do these um, all the way in Budapest recording podcasts for you. Try to get the, uh, uh, you know, get the word out if you can. This is a DIY type of thing. So if you listen to podcasts on SoundCloud or if this is your first time hearing of it, you know, follow us on SoundCloud. It's quite easy. Um, I'm at SoundCloud.com backslash the houseless podcast. I'm also on Twitter at houseless pod. So find me that way. Please uh, follow, uh, subscribe, and feel free to retweet it, repost it if you can. If you have a blog or website, uh, go ahead and just do that for me. I ask of you, and I am very appreciative. Um, So yes, we paid some dues. Now it's time to get into this conversation with me and Peter. Uh, You get a real sense of being on the street in Budapest in one of its numerous uh, 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 street corner cafes because that's where we recorded it so you get a a taste of what it's like sitting with me and Peter having a chat about the Hungarian history and music industry and I think you're going to dig this Uh, so but excuse any of the car noises or anything like that so this is the raw nature of the houseless baby you know how it goes down I just marked your name off you're on the houseless with Peter Agassin Check it out. I wanted to, yeah, chat with you just because since we met a couple days ago and I've been kind of learning about your career a little bit too, I, I soon realized that you have like a, a, you know, a long story here in Hungary and in Budapest as a promoter and as, um, you know, a producer of, of, you know, curator of things. So I wanted to get your story you know uh your history but also in in the context of like hungarian contemporary music of the last you know 40 50 years you know in a way so now would you consider yourself more of a manager or you kind of do show promoting it's a it's a mix of both yeah i think it's a mix of both and i like to keep it like that 
I really do enjoy all parts of the music business, uh, even carrying amplifiers and and do you like carrying amplifiers. Well, uh, as I'm getting older, I prefer Princetons to Twins, but <laughs> ah. <laughs> but uh, I still I, I have nothing against to. I, I'm involved in a little bit uh, in a backliner company. Oh yes, that's right. I forgot. I, yes. I, I also I'm a part owner of a, of a visual company, so we own some some LED walls and and. and oh we, really? We, so for festivals and things? Or? Yeah, for festivals or, or club shows or and also. I really did enjoy when, when we done last year uh, the arena gig uh, with the band I used to manage and, and this is Quimby yeah the Quimby and this was our, our second uh, headline show at the arena fortunately the second sold out headline show at the arena very nice and and I really did enjoy to to plan uh, the whole production uh, we we worked as a team like like five six people to to make uh, make a plan for for the visuals, the set design, we created uh, an entirely original material for for each song. Uh, we made new visuals, really, and and we made a very very nice. I mean, at least I think we made a nice uh, set design. And how I many mean, people were on stage? Five. Uh, there were six uh, people plus guest musicians. Sometimes we we had. Uh, we had extra percussion players. We had an extra harp, uh, fiddle, and cello player. And another guy who played some some guitar, lap steel, and and oh. and, and normal guitar. Cool. So it it was. Um, I think I give you a DVD because it was. I think it was a nice piece of uh, art. Yeah, I love to see that. And I, when I was uh, much younger, as a teenager, we started to have a band. Uh, I was a uh, one of the guitar players and honestly I found out pretty soon that I'm not really talented as a musician uh-huh. but I do like the rock and roll so if you cannot be on stage uh, either you are a roadie you are the, at the front of house or, or you put all of these things yeah. together so that's yeah, you figure out uh, what your job will be soon enough yes. so then, then I, I found that so I started uh, practically I think uh, the first Geeks, I organized. Of course, they were they were our first band when we were teenagers, like like 16, 17. And the first gig where, where we got paid, I've done like like when I was eighteen. Here in Budapest. In Budapest, yeah. What's, what was the venue? Do you remember? Uh, I can't recall exactly what was the venue. It. Uh, I remember uh, f- first few gigs, but I don't really know which was the the very first first. So I, right. I remember the first couple of gigs we played uh, venues like uh, the Bemrock part uh, which is um, it's on, on the Buddha side an old culture house where, where one, uh, the mini band which was a sort of a legendary band uh, mini band? mini okay. uh, and uh, they used to be hosting gigs there uh, so what year, the, what, what year are we talking it's something like uh, 85 85 okay. 85 and and that venue was more more legendary in the 70s but still it, it did exist back then actually it still exists but it's it's quite low key so when it was legendary in the 70s are we talking about like um, was omega 
playing there, or is this too small for a band like that? It's uh, Omega might have played there before, but there, uh, like in the 60s, 70s, uh, which I don't really have first-hand experience. Right. I my first musical memory dates back to like like 73 when I listened something, and I still do remember what I was listening to. So I remember what was that? a song of uh, of the Ilesh band, Nemso Ranka Hazmashal, and and uh, and uh, there was this British band called Middle of the Road, and they had this hit Chirpy Chirpy Chip Chip. I remember <laughs> I used to like that when I was like like seven. And so those I, are the first earliest memories. And I remember Obla de Oblada by the Beatles that uh, I really dig when I was small. Right. So the, those were the first songs I do remember with the title. Right. So you said uh, the Illish band, I think for people that might not know who that is, um, uh, that are outside of Hungary, I mean, they're sort of referred to as like the Hungarian Beatles, but yeah, that's, is that that's accurate? That's what I to say, actually. Pretty much, uh, so they they were the pop band. They were they were the band where, where the girls uh, thrown their underwear on stage, huh. and uh, and they they were they were the the good guys, like uh, you yeah. know, in, in, nice guys. They they were the nice guys. They were they were the ones where, where yeah, you you the mom let the daughter go to the game. <laughs> Even though they they were bad motherfuckers. Oh, sorry. No, that's fine. Please, <coughs> but. It's like the Beatles. Everyone said like the Rolling Stones were the bad guys and the Beatles are the good guys. But I think the Beatles used much more drugs and made crazier stuff than most anyone in the rock and roll history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sure. so Ilesh was comparable. Would you yeah, say? Yes, and, and I think in many ways Ilesh was was comparable to to this one. And and there were the the underground bands, uh, either underground in a way like like they they played more complex music like in this uh, King Crimson direction. Or, or, or the guys who who, who played uh, in the outskirts of town uh, and and more more rough stuff like like this Hendrix Zeppelin kind of stuff which wasn't really popular amongst the uh, the, uh, the establishment. Right. Uh, right. Mm. So, and so what was it? I mean, going back, what so what was the scene like uh, in '85 when you were actually like now you were actually a part of it? by being a musician or being involved with bands. I mean. Yeah, in the middle of the 80s, uh, uh, the water started to boiling in, uh, in the pan. And, uh, and actually, the 80s were a pretty interesting period in Hungary. I think my first time coming to Budapest was 85. Mm-hmm. 84, 85, but I was... We might met. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, I remember... Uh, I was in high school and I remember in 1984 most every artist or, or around that period wrote something about George Orwell like like the half Ziggy Stardust is about and right. everywhere the Big Brother team came and as in in the middle of the 80s Hungary was still part of the communist yeah. uh, countries it wasn't really popular this uh, this idea in Hungary so I do remember I I read the Animal Farm and and a couple of books of Solzhenitsyn and the 1984 uh, around that period, and but it was sort of an underground sum is that yeah, thing. Definitely. So you couldn't. I, I tried. I went to to to, to a bookstore where they sold international books and said, okay, uh, do you have uh, 1984 in English or German? And, and the lady, I remember, no, no, we don't have those books here. <laughs> so, right. And and I remember. 
quite a lot of band uh, reached to that team. There used to be this band, uh, Uerha, which mm. was one of the what were they like? key underground band with a little bit punk, but more art punk. So it's not like so the Sex Pistols. It's more like uh, Wire. It's it's a bit. I think those guys were, were heavily influenced by, by Talking Heads and ah. so that, that direction so it's putting a lot of art into it but had a punk attitude but they were not really the most skilled musicians so no right. Steve Vai and stuff like that in the band right, right. but, uh, but they, uh, that was a period when, when you had a little bit more reach of, uh, of, uh, of the western music it's in 80. Maybe around 82, I don't remember exactly the year, the Budapest Arena opened and they started to bring uh, artists. Honestly, one of my uh, biggest regrets that uh, uh, in one of those years, uh, the Talking Heads uh, made a double bill with Tom Tom Club. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about them back then and I didn't went to the gig, which mm. uh, I do regret until today. And Wait, Did you go to the famous uh, Queen? Oh, yeah, so I was I was at the Queen show. Now that was obviously that was before the Talking Heads came. Yes, that's it's, 70s. it's about the same period. Uh, I, I I think the Queen was in '84. Okay, something like that. I think I was still in high school or no. I, I guess it was '84 or '85. I mean, that was like a cultural phenomenon when it happened. Yes. I mean, yeah, and it was. Uh, there were a lot of uh, articles around that how difficult it was to make it happen, and and Hungary wasn't really prepared for such uh, such uh, big caliber shows. So uh, I was told many of my colleagues who were somehow involved into this, they said that they had to get all the lights from 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 the movie industry from from all the concert promoters wow. <laughs> because the band ha- had a rider which uh, no single company could fulfill back then sure so, i mean this is queen i mean at their height too. yeah i mean that was a, that was a bloody great show it's, yes i know i've seen a bit my cousin uh Cesar gabor he went to it mm-hmm. and um this was at the soccer stadium, though, right? This yeah, was that, was, that was the, the Neustadion. Yeah, yeah. Actually, a couple of years later, was another great gig. It was uh, some kind of um, traveling touring uh, uh, show for the human rights. And that was a stellar lineup. It started, uh, yeah, it started with a Hungarian group, and then then Tracy Chapman played, then, then uh, one of these African guys uh, country called and Peter Gabriel like or no not Felakuti unfortunately but something like that and uh, unfortunately Felakuti never made to Hungary mm. and and then uh, then uh, I think Peter Gabriel was in it and then Tracy Chapman was in it and uh, and uh, Sting and uh, Bruce Springsteen wow. and uh, one that's day that's, that's sort of a kind of <laughs> so and I was lucky enough to be there you went I was lucky enough to to be at the Neustadion when you two did the Achtung Baby. Wow. And uh, How did that feel in that moment? Because that was probably their most important album they've ever done, would you say? I mean, maybe Joshua Tree might be. Or... Yeah, might. It's hard, hard to judge. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not the biggest U2 like, uh, aficionado. Honestly, me neither. Although I really do like the, the first couple of so- uh, albums. But... Uh, yeah, I, I have bands which I like better than you two. <laughs> yes, but uh, yes, I think a lot. But that, that was a great gig, uh, and uh, and they went on uh, or the crew to to downtown Budapest uh, 
and I think it must have been 91 or so because they they screened some some shots at the legendary uh, underground place the Tilo Shaza mm. and which more or less the place where I spent most of my time so it was nice to yeah. see that spot on the big screen on the, on the stage amazing, yeah. and uh, so that was like the be- that was a venue or a cl- like a bar or a club that, that was a that was a bar and a, and a live music venue wow. that's that's where John uh, uh, um, Lurie stayed most every night while he was here that's John Lurie yes Lounge yeah, the lounge lizards. Yeah, the lounge lizards played once in Budapest. Really? And that's with that's Ricardo Lindsay with them. Do you know? I don't remember the full line of it. Was it was John's uh, brother in the band, and it was wow. Ribo playing guitar. Mark Ribo, yes. And and I can't, but but it's probably yes because it was in '92, I guess. And then uh, John. John, uh, there was a Hungarian ballet dancer who approached John to 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 work on, on a project together. So, so I think John stayed a couple of weeks in Budapest, and and he stayed a lot at this bar, yeah. which is it was just a small uh, basement uh, venue for like 200 people, uh-huh. and with a very small uh, stage. Uh, and and very humid, no real air condition. Yeah, so classic I, uh, Hungarian spot. Well, it's uh, it's like the Star Club in Hamburg or something right, like that. Right. And uh, and they had they had right. an upper room which which was more spacey, but it was really really uh, the underground venue, like the CBGB yeah sort of thing. And had Down by Law come out yet at this point in time? Or? Yeah, Down by Law. So he was already. I mean, this was John Laurie's like kind of height of fame. Yeah, he it, and uh, they played the Petofi Hall. Uh, nice. And actually, the funny thing that was that gig was uh, sponsored by by uh, a liberal party which used to call it Fidesz. And back then, I know it's hard to believe by today's standards, but back then the Fidesz was was a was a young guy's uh, liberal party. Hmm. Like, Wow. Like Fidesz these days, the sort of a almost Nazi right wing, uh, the biggest supporter of uh, Senor Donald Trump. So you can wow. you can put it. Uh, imagine if, do, if Donald Trump would have promoted a gig of uh, of Talking Heads back in '82, <laughs> something like that. So it's that's amazing. It's it's a strange strange world. Yeah. And uh, actually, Fidesz once uh, put someone into Nick Cave gig. Wow. Well, at the at the Arca Theater. So. Huh. So they were world. like, yeah, they were gathering people. They knew that people would come to see a group. Would they be inundating people no, with actually, propaganda? They, they, they had a sort of a kind of foundation. Oh. So that was uh, their, their cultural leg of their activity. And, and so they, they made a bit of... Uh, I don't know exactly because I wasn't a promoter. I just uh, I was at the gig. So yeah. I just remember that... It's on the posters, it was obvious that it was supported by them. But so back to '85, uh, it was a really interesting period. As I said, uh, we had we had this. So in the air, we had this uh, this big big brother thing. We thought back then that this is, is pretty much about how the Soviet Union and and this this communist control of everyday life uh, is uh, is uh, appearing or, or, or mirrored. It took me quite a few years to find out that it's, it doesn't matter if it's Soviet or, or American or Hungarian. It doesn't matter. The government wants to control you 
then the government can trust you. It doesn't matter yeah. you know, what what color and what uh, yeah, what country you're in. What country you're in. Yeah. Now, but uh, well, back then, uh, I think culture played a much much bigger part of of the everyday life. Uh, I, I remember the. the Art movie network was was very strong and 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 viral back then. I remember that uh, all the little university campuses, each of them has their own venue, own club, and uh, and this is actually I started the university in '85 and uh, and yeah, in Budapest. In Budapest, what's the what's the college? Uh, Technical University for Civil Engineering. I never ever worked like that, <laughs> but <laughs> I spent a couple of years. I learned quite a lot of useful things. I, I know that uh, water always flowing down. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah, it's very important. Actually, apparently, as I as I drive and see the roads, it's not as obvious for most people who are who are doing the job that I was taught. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but uh, it was interesting to, to study all of these things. I never ever really get good use of it, like, like on an obvious way to work as an engineer, but right. in many ways it, it helps if you, if you work with a set designer, if you, if, you, if you plan to do anything, if you work with Excel sheets, or it's, I think yeah. all of them made sense. And, and I mean, most everyone really hated to, to go to mathematics classes. But in the other way, I think all of these years when, when you train your brain to, to solve problems, it helps if you, if you work with musicians or, or, or in this business. Because it's, if you do a gig, promote a gig, or, or just tour with a band, it's what you do. It's solving problems all the time. Oh, constantly, yeah. I mean. So it's... Uh, and and uh, probably that that helped me to train my brain to, to, to find a quick solution. Yeah. So over the years, how many tours do you think you've arranged just in the country of, of Hungary? It's, you Both know, for Hungarians and, and, and uh, international uh, artists. It's hard to tell. You know, Hungary is a very small country, so if uh, can, can we call it a tour if, if we leave Budapest, uh, play a city of like 100 miles, drive back, then two, two days later you go to another one. Mm-hmm. Is it a tour or is it a tour only if you stay there and go to... So, you know. Well, you know, in Japan, you know, you, if many people travel to Japan, they play Tokyo, Osaka, Ooh. maybe Kyoto, and that's Ooh. it, or Tokyo and Osaka, and that's all, and they call that a tour. I think, I think as long as it's more than one show, you can call it a tour. Okay. Three so, for sure is a tour. So, I think I... I... Uh, so when I started, uh, I I became a manager of a Hungarian blues band, and we, what was their name? Uh, they used to call the Palermo Boogie Gang. Uh-huh. We never been to Sicily. No one's been to Sicily actually, but it's still it sounded fun. Uh-huh. And that was an important band of the of the eighties, nineties. They they've been together until ninety six, and we got quite a lot of success with them, and. And they played a lot. Uh, so back then, I think we had an average of eight gigs a week. Throughout the country? No, I mean just... Just in uh, Budapest? Yeah. Uh, or, yeah, or in Hungary. Or around, yeah. And, and like in, in, nine, in the 90s, we started to, to go out, like, like Austria, Germany, a little bit. But, but the majority of the gigs we had in Hungary. But it's, it's really, it was a very common that we had uh, two or three gigs a day, sometimes. Really? Like they, they were regular uh, at a small bar. And they played like four sets from six till ten, 
And then after after like when ten they finished, then they went to this place, the Tiloshazal, to to do a show from eleven. And sometimes they went to a university gig if it's a Saturday, like like two a.m. start. Oh, cool! So it's that's really like like uh, eight per week was sort of an average. Yeah, so it's like the jazz style. Or it's 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 more like yeah, it's it's, it's that that kind of that yeah, kind yeah. of work. And in the meantime, I started to work with some some uh, underground bands, like. Um, few of them has some kind of uh, versions existing till today some of them just made new bands and I started to work uh, with artists outside of Hungary in 89 or so I remember I did my first international blues festival at the Petrofi Hall in 1990 and the week before that uh, we did a sort of an underground music festival in Szeged mm-hmm. And we've done some punk gigs like UK subs and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. So what other? Yeah, I mean, at this at this time, what? Who are you bringing in to Hungary or to Budapest? Well, it I was, mean, you said you did UK subs. I mean, that's pretty amazing. It's a, we did. It, it wasn't my my sole promotion. I used to work with a company, the Vis Production, right. and and uh, with them together we worked on. Stuff. So it was like a promotion company. Yes. It's, it's a promotion yeah. company where, where probably I was the youngest person in the company involved, and and uh, George Peter, who was the founder of this one, he is a couple of years older than me, and and he was one of the first one who started to build up his connection with uh, with uh, with the uh, Dutch scene, like the paperclip agency. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, actually, I think they are the guys now who are behind the Eurosonic and. The yes, paper yes. clip was a very yeah, paper clip. I know them, yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, they started to to bring uh, different acts to the Petrofi Hall. Oh. Back then, the Petrofi Hall had, uh, I mean, Petrofi doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. But uh, that's the venue where, where they done uh, this legendary gig uh, with Nirvana a couple of years really? before they they became famous. So they played like seventy pe- for like seventy people. Wow! Were you there? Uh, I, I wasn't there. I mean, now everyone said that was there. I'm one who admits I wasn't there. <laughs> I'm not one of the 70. Right. Because it's at least like like 2,000 people said, yes, I was there. It's <laughs> yes, like Woodstock. Or <laughs> right. Everyone wants to claim they were there. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Nirvana and Budapest, that would be so, something. Uh, and then back to the 80s, it was an interesting period, and quite a lot of bands started back then, like like the URHA, Europa Kiado, Control Chopard. Yeah. They they were the, the and, and they, they, there was a lot of uh, uh, mo- uh, traveling so so members moved from this band to this so it was right, more right. it was sort of like a factory in, in the Velvet Underground times mm-hmm. and the Warhol so it was, it's a small scene right it's a small scene everyone knows everyone also with my as I said I used to manage this blues band but this blues band was a sort of a kind of Part of the underground scene, like 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 Willie Deville was was a part of the CBGB stuff, even yeah. though they played this New Orleans Americana stuff. Right, right. So and, and this was also with, with this band, like like uh, we had the core of the band, and and we always had a bunch of uh, guests. Sometimes it's been like it was a five-piece band, but sometimes it was twenty-five people on stage, yeah. like like ten horn players. Even we used to have a period when we had a vibraphone player playing. Wow. The so it was a crazy idea, and, and all of these guys from from this art uh, avant-garde uh, 
Arthroxine, uh, the Saint Andre connection, yes. the, the Bizochag guys. Was there, was there a scene in Saint Andre? Actually, uh, that was I just went there a couple of days ago. Yeah, uh, Saint Andre is a is a Saint Andre is a is a kind of village to Budapest, yeah. uh, and and a lot of painters lives there because right. it's it's been a home of, of painters for for many years, especially at the turn of the. 19th to 20th century, and, uh, and a lot of uh, underground painters uh, used to live there or still lives there, and of course many painters are playing music like like John Lurie, and uh, so the similar-minded people formed some 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 art avant-garde bands, cool. and and uh, and uh, the most famous of them uh, was the Bizochag. Which was also like like a hub and and uh, and the Bizochev with with Vaslavik Gazember, uh, they, they had different versions and sometimes also they had a sort of a uh, it, it's not really a cover band, partly a cover band, partly partly just a band to place uh, soul, funk, whatever, and and original music. Uh, one of the founding member of the Bizochev was. Uh, Zambo Richie uh-huh. and he had a band called Avzambo uh, Happy Dead Band and and in the 80s uh, it was a period where most of the university party most of the so where the where the young people of uh, how do you say it's, it's intelligence so it's yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, the high yeah. school the, uh, most of this so, uh, so when, when the art high school has a party when, when the Elta has a party or the Kersgas has a party it's, it, it happens hundreds of times that the Palermo Boogie and the Evzambo Happy Band was, was the closing right. because people danced to it it was fun and but also are, are bands even are they making any money at all when they're playing shows actually uh, I remember I, I was doing pretty good back then yeah so uh we didn't make big money, but living was so cheap. Yes, yes and yes. and especially you know, if you're young, uh, you don't have children, you don't have other responsibilities, and even at the very beginning, we didn't even pay taxes. I think uh, the income tax system they invented in Hungary in '88. So we had a couple uh, of years where we just everything was black. It's we just get the money, and that that's was it. All. That's it. Well, now the taxes, we were talking about this before, the taxes are very high for artists. Tax, taxes, taxes are very hard for, for every, everyone. Yeah. So the, uh, the value of the tax, what you pay after each uh, concert ticket or anything, it's 27%. And, and Hungary, unfortunately, it's, it's very high on, on taxes. So mm. if, if you work and you make, you make a gross of, say, $1,000, you pay... So it it goes like like fifty some percent to the government. Fifty. Fifty some, fifty three or so. So it's man. That's a lot. It's even worse than, than in America. I just had last night a conversation with Lily G in the car. How much uh, his girlfriend does in Atlanta as being a nurse and, and how it's comparable to the Hungarians. Yeah. She still makes more, although he spends more on the flats. So, right. so but back then in the eighties, uh, I remember I always had money. I, yeah, you know, it's a thing. I, I had this thing, so I, I, I bought myself some some high end, high fidelity shit. I, right. 
I always had enough money to, to buy my drinks. I never really you been buy into records too. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Whenever I traveled, I was came back with a bunch of. Because well, the record stores were not very prevalent in Budapest. There's one or two, yes. Or? Yeah, there. In the eighties, there were there were already a couple of uh, private uh, ventures in, in mm. Budapest, and, and some of them. I don't know exactly when. One of the guys uh, from the phonograph, uh, the drummer, opened uh, opened a store, a record store, <coughs> and that was one of the first one. I mean, back in the in the seventies, I think you could get some some secondhand stores and you right. could get some. Uh, there, there was a place where, where, where there was a guy who who burnt you on on. Uh, on, on some some Sherlock things, I, I don't know because I, I was press, told uh, compilations or something. Uh, I don't even know. And, and I remember we did uh, hundreds of hundreds of, uh, of tape copies of to each other. Yeah. So it's just, I, I don't I don't know how many cassettes. <laughs> I I really I don't know if you know this uh, this uh, Nick Hornby book, The High Fidelity. They made a movie. Yes, of course. No, so, so that's that's what I've done many many times. Like like, like make, make, making making compilations for my girlfriends or wannabe girlfriends. Or okay. I, I know that very well. So that that movie is the compilation. The girlfriend compilation is uh, is always a important move. And and we we did some serious talk about if it's a difference between Albert Collins and Albert King. So it's <laughs> so and uh, not everyone. Of, of our generation they did but I think uh, music was much more important to that generation than to a generation of these days it's maybe more valuable in a way in a certain way yeah I think back rare then, back then culture doesn't matter if it's movies music books theater it, it was more more valuable and then it really as I said uh, the water started to boiling back then and then then the wall came down in in 89 but uh, it's uh, it's really you 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 felt in the air that some change is going to come yeah i feel like even now in the last five to ten years that you see this kind of turning point with young people now in budapest that feels very different from what it was like in the 80s obviously i mean it's like that anywhere in the world there's a generation shift right would you see this or no how do you perceive that well, my daughter, she's 26, so I, I see this generation, and I work with Ivan. Who are <laughs> those guys are at, at the at the age of my daughter, yeah. And and I'm, I'm trying to to follow what what's what's in the minds of, of that generation, and trying to follow what's what's in the air. What what, but still, everyone is is a little bit uh, shack in his or her own own birth so yeah I'm still if I if I see I most every day or every week I, I check out all music what's the new releases in music and see but but uh, obviously I'm more fascinated when I see even like I said at the beginning of this conversation like like yesterday I heard a new remix of the surgeon purpose yeah. I was more more drawn by that than than by a new EDM whatever even though if it's got a five star review sometimes I do take, take a give a chance and, and, and listen something if, if they say uh, it's it's a, it's a it's a five star review or, or on a on a breakbeat whatever EDM 
but uh, I must admit that uh, those are not the albums I, I come back and listen no. again. Yes, I know. I but mean, but in a way, I, I still try to keep uh, myself open. But but I, I can deny that that uh, all of those years uh, which formed my taste and which is still shaping is still it's it's already pretty much shaped. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you go back to what you love. I mean, whatever year you picked it up. <clears throat> I would love to... I want to run down a couple Hungarian bands here right. and get your kind of take on it because I'm, I'm constantly trying to learn about the Hungarian groups of the... basically the 70s and 80s, you know? And because there's so little documentation in American media, you know? So... Uh, and finding the records is tricky unless you're really knowledgeable or you're buying them here. And I usually buy records when I'm here. And, and of course, you know, Omega and Locomotive um, are uh, Locomotive GT are really the, the ones that I own the most records of. And in some ways, maybe the m more popular in the United States because of, because of their psyche, hard rock tendencies. Yes. Would you agree at least with that? Omega and Locomotive GT are... Are, were they the most uh, popular outside of Hungary of that era? Yeah, I mean, uh, they 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 had a strong connection. So, like, yeah. like the LGT was formed when, when some guys left the Omega. I see. Like yes. like, like Gabor Presser. Originally, he was a songwriter, piano player of the of the Omega, of the of the first incarnation of Omega, and then I think Karol uh, Ferenc. I think he was in Omega too for a while, and so there was a lot of. Uh, it's in the same world, Omega in, in and the locomotive. Same, same and and uh, the later version of the Omega, uh, which became this this stadion rock with a lot of lasers and stuff like that. This right. they went into this uh, mixture of the Pink Floydy kind of uh, gigantic stuff right, with, right. With, the with, with the Scorpions kind of music. Uh, that, <laughs> that was their their take on it yeah I must admit they were very popular and uh, it's, it's a great one it's I, I kind of like a little bit better the the, the LGT or LGT I know that was a little bit more down-to-earth approach and right. more, more musical right. for my standards yeah so, Omega is more the classic arena rock yeah and, and, and LGT they did pretty well in clubs I've seen them many times in clubs yeah. and, and that, that was a great band and I still, I, I have much better relationship with the members of uh, of, of LGT than, than Omega, even though they are fine and and, and uh, it's heads off to them. But uh, what about uh, Pyramis? Pyramis, uh, aka what? Pyramid. Pyramish. Yes, Pyramish, also known as Pyramid. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's Pyramid, uh, but in Hungarian it's uh, Pyramish. It's Pyramish. Would uh, you say are they like the yes of Hungary? I wouldn't say yes. They were more like like uh, like the Deep Purple or something. Yeah. Like that. okay. So, That's but better, that yes. that was a that was a period in the in the eighties when uh, when we called the Chovash thing. It's uh, uh, the guys. Uh, so uh, the pop music was pretty much controlled for 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 a good while, and there started a kind of a rebellion uh, against uh, all of these uh, these nice comfort lifestyle uh -huh. and uh, there were one way to to uh, which came a little bit later this skinhead punk thing which were really 
anti-establishment thing, right. and and also there was this uh, this chovash, which chovash means is is the guys who had uh, pants uh, very, very tight pants, so they had the chuna drag. Uh, and what would you but, compare but, to, like mods? Uh, it's a bit, but uh, but much less money involved and much. Uh-huh. Uh, but but sort of that kind of and they they were they tried to it's, it's a sort of like like a, like a hippie thing but but uh, but not as as so it's not not this uh, this uh, yoga peace love happiness kind right. of hippie thing but more like uh, a bit like like the the hell's angels kind of rebellious cool. stuff and and they they just they just said fuck working. Uh, they, they had a lot of problem with the police, and, and they just instead of going to school, they just hang on on, on squares, drank some some cheap moonshine or, or whatever, and and try to basking for money and right. and and, uh, and uh, use some some uh, cheap drugs. Drugs were not really, I mean, drugs what you call drugs in your world were not really popular here, so we always had to find some substitutes. Okay. So Hungary poppy was was a very very legal uh, plant. Most everywhere. Oh, yes, poppies in so, uh, so like all the shitamen. Yeah, in, in, in all, bagel, in all the cakes you, you get a poppy cake. Yes, uh, it's like, like like a poppy seed uh, pasta. It was like a makos yeah, taster. Yeah, makos taster. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's every everything is food. Yeah. And so and and, uh, and pretty soon people found out that uh, that the that the. Fresh uh, puppy. They made uh, puppy tea. So it was a sort of they they, they find their own way how to make oh, how to get getting, the opiates out high. of that and, and get high and and also some some uh, the technocol uh, which was a kind of adhesive and uh, it has some some chemicals I don't know what uh, and and you inhale that and 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 you got wow. fucked by that and and you get some some some. Uh, some some kind of medicines mixed with alcohol, like that. So, yeah. uh, and, and some of them were for a while legal, or, or you, you you everyone knew a doctor who got a prescription. So so, and then then marijuana came into it. I think in the in the eighties, and then actually there were quite a lot of weed uh, at the, at the side of the road. I remember we just stopped the. And when someone spotted, we went there, look at scene. Oh, but just it, it, uh, growing wildly outdoor. Yeah, but uh, but naturally, so it's not not natural uh, outdoor weed growing natural outside. Natural weed, and they were not really strong. But in a way, I, I never been really a, a, a weed head. Yeah. But, uh, but I remember back then, it, you just get a wide smile and right. okay, and, and cough a lot because it was bad quality. <laughs> but, and and later we get some better stuff, and 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 I really quit when when it's, uh, these days you get even the weed, it's it's so strong and and it's yeah. like, like modified and it's, it's just unnatural. one sip and then you get lost. And I don't like that anymore. Yeah. So it's uh, but it's it's everyone's business. I still, I mean. So that was that was that was our no, and, and, and the pyramid pyramid was uh, was uh, was the main band for for the Chevesh guys the the, the Taipans guys they, yeah. they had uh, it was a typical look of the guys they they had like a t-shirt or some 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 cheap uh, jeans jacket we didn't really get uh, Levi's or uh, some, right, some of them, but we got we got the Hungarian version. Yeah. So it's uh, it was. A what was the Hungarian version of Levi's? Trapper. 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 Yeah. That was a Hungarian jeans, uh, and <coughs> so 
and and uh, some, this some is military like stuff like like the the gas mask uh, bag uh, we called it Simatashka. That was on, on everyone's shoulder. That was the I used fashion. to have. Yeah, yeah, that was the fashion. And uh, and and these guys uh, somehow the pyramid wrote songs which with these guys has a real resonation. And uh, and then that they were popular. They were really like like it's it's another band where where where, where chicks went crazy and and I think oh, those guys could fuck. 20 or 30 at each gig if they wanted it's, it's everyone went crazy for them and they got popular I, I know their manager of, of back do they uh, still exist as a band pardon? do they still exist as a band uh, not uh, at that lineup they, they are doing uh, right now is a tour happening uh, with, with the two the singer and the, and the guitar oh, okay, player cool. but the bass player he, he got some 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 health problems so and, and I don't remember. I what know Pino, the drummer, he's around. Uh, but so I, I, I remember we, we sat down and had, had some conversations, storytelling, and I do think uh, with Gabo, with the manager, and he said that it was it was really insane, like uh, like, like the Rolling Stones in '62. Yeah. Yeah, right. it, it was really sometimes it's a question if they can play the entire set or something is happening and they have to. <laughs> right. uh, and and that was uh, and and there was another band uh, the Edda Művek which which came maybe a, a couple of years after Pyramid who who covered most of these uh, these uh, Pyramid was from Budapest and Edda Művek was from Miskolc so it's oh. it it uh, it's somehow it said uh, something to 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 the, to the country right what about uh, um, Burgundy you remember this the Berg- yeah I remember Burgundy uh, how like, would you describe them. Mm, the Burgundy was uh, the Burgundy had the different periods of their lives. I remember when I was a very very young uh, guy and, and I went to school. The first day, the, back then they used to have a song, which called "Iskola uh, Tashka," so school bag, and it's about uh, the young kid Patty who goes to school and 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 his school bag is so heavy and he doesn't want to go to school but then he sees uh, a girl a schoolmate and then the, the bag is lighter and he wants to go to school so it's, it's a love story yeah. yes I'm a Peter and so it's a, yes I understand uh, and, and uh, I, I remember I, uh, I used to like uh, that song so Burgundy had many different uh, periods Burgundy was a very very skilled band and the very beginning they were something like the Chicago so it's a Ah. It's, a, it's a lot of horns and well around stuff, and and they started to play stuff like 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 like, like Chicago. Interesting. And and then they went uh, into more popular directions. Right, right. But uh, their singer uh, Ferenc Demian, he's still active until today, and he, he's one of the real great singers of the oh, Hungarian cool. scene. Someone who who has sort of a Characteristic vocals like like Freddie Mercury or, or Joe oh, Cocker, yeah. so like a big frontman, big lead has, singer who has who really can sing and 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 if he sings, you just recognize it from my survey, right. which is unfortunately is not uh, not every in every band. Right. What about um, Moby Dick? Moby Dick, I'm not that familiar with. It's Moby Dick is from, uh, I think, from Chopron or so from the uh, from the western part of the country. Yeah, and, they, and they, they they were rock uh, band more more like this uh, Black Sabbath, Motorhead, yeah, like uh, a hard rock band, hard, hard rock band, 
and honestly, I never really been deeply into this this yeah. hard rock scene. I, I I used to like. Uh, Black Sabbath, but I I wasn't really a collector, so if, if my record collection had probably all the Rolling Stones album, but and maybe a couple of deeper, probably all of the Zeppelins, or, or at least the first four or five. But I'm no not Sabbath, sure. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I really have uh, Black Sabbath or Uriah Heep or or Nazareth yeah. or all of that. I, I know there, about them, but it wasn't really my. There was day. like a um, a hard rock scene in Hungary. I mean, yeah, that it is touring still, bands come here have had it, a success. Yes, it's still uh, it's just uh, not my cup of tea. Like yeah. like it's uh, uh, it's <laughs> too much of uh, of too much posturing. Maybe? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I like I like uh, you know I, I came from from the blues, yes. world, so I I, I like uh, when, when I can believe every word of a singer. Doesn't matter if if the song itself says something. I really do need to believe. But but like the like the, those people like 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 Harlem Wolf, Muddy Waters, if they go on stage and they sing, even if they if they tell the telephone book. They have <laughs> charisma, and you truly believe everything. Yes. And if you if you see all of these uh, heavy metal bands, uh, you know it's it's uh, it's circus. It's yeah, and, and fantasy. It's, a, it's, yeah. So it, it's a different kind of uh, it's a different part of the of the music business. And I'm yeah. not really much into into that. That's that's uh, I, I, it's it's not better or worse. It's just it's not my cup of tea. Have those um, back in the day? Did those great bluesmen come to Budapest? Was there ever a time when Muddy Waters or BB King or um, any of these guys like make their way here? Actually, at the very beginning, not really. And uh, and there was a band uh, formed in the, sometimes in the in the 80s, I think 82 or so, which used to call a blues band. It's uh, called the Hobo Blues Band, but uh, but they represent uh, a different approach to this music than, than than what I think it's about. Because that was a band they played. Uh, they also played for the music for the underdog and much respect for that what they done and. But the lead mm. singer of the hobo, he was more an intellectual than than a real singer. So he he translated a lot of this Allen Ginsberg stuff. He even invited him and did some stuff together. Oh, Allen Ginsberg came here. And Allen Ginsberg been here several times. Yeah. But, you ever see him speak or read? Or uh, yeah, he sat on, on stage, played uh, this harmonium and really? stage. Was it this, cool? Uh, cool, but honestly, it's a bit boring. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. But uh, even, even from from that period, I I, I like uh, Kerouac's take better than, than than Ginsberg. But I like I like I like Hunter Thompson better than. Uh, it, it, it was an interesting period, and uh, and I kind of like a lot of stuff, but still not everything. And and it's just like. You know, if you get high and you just write down everything you pops into your mind, it's sometimes good comes out of it, sometimes not. But uh, was Hunter S. Thompson a really well received uh, writer here? Like no, no, that, that was a guy uh, uh, who I know, Andras Vagvedi. He did a lot to introduce him to, mm. to Hungary, but uh, but not. I don't know. I, I don't think he's really, really widely known here. Right. But, but I, I kind of like like right. him. Yeah. 
I don't understand the word if I see an interview with him because the way he speaks is. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of slang kind uh, of. Yeah, and he has this, this moving so it's hard to understand. But, oh, but he's actually speaking. Yes. That's yeah, yeah. So good. that's. But he, he was a crazy guy. That's for yes, sure. But, but, but I, I like. For me, I, I and, and I like uh, Kankizi stuff and stuff. So. But but uh, so back to back to the blues question. Uh, so so the Hobo Blues Band uh, was uh, was the band who who became the most famous band, uh, having the the moniker of the blues in their name. So it meant that after a while, people thought the average people thought the blues is something like that what they played, and and it was something like like uh, imagine uh, the Grateful Dead with a singer who cannot sing. And so that kind, the stuff which, uh, 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 which meant like like uh, I have all respect for Jerry Garcia, but still grateful that it's just one band from yeah. that direction. And, and if people think like like okay, the great '60s band is like the the grateful that then you are not fair to to well, there's hundreds of other bands, hundreds of yeah. others who, who had a different approach like like the band or from well, or, band I mean or, even, or, I guess you know or Jefferson Airplane or, yeah. or whoever yeah. yeah so and that that's why and and so Hungary is a very very small market and it's uh, it's pretty isolated as uh, we do speak our language but no one else around us right. so it means that like like uh, uh, Importing stuff has a language barrier because people don't understand the word. Right, so that's right. why, before the recording, we we had this conversation about why Bob Dylan never been big in Hungary. Sure. So and what do you think? It's just it just didn't translate, right? Or was it not? Were the records not distributed here properly? It's, the records not distributed. I mean, certain records got distributed, certain not. I will tell you a story about uh, uh, later something which which explains some of the way how the Hungarian uh, recording industry did work. But let let me finish this thing with the blues thing. So and uh, and that's uh, that's why uh, uh, with, with being a, a small market, a few people who had an impact. On uh, on the society or, or a given part of the society uh, had a much much bigger impact than, than than at a bigger market where one person cannot really change. In Hungary, as, as being a small market, even one uh, person with, with with a lot of followings can can have a big impact, and and you don't really have uh, more people. So it's not like like there are, there were ten radio DJs and and some of them were good at this, some of them were good at that, and one of them were more. Uh, powerful and another we had like two and if wow. whatever these two were interested or liked that they came through and then that that went through everywhere and whatever uh, were out of their radar it just doesn't exist so like like oh, like so the soul music the funk music the black american culture entirely lacked to came to hungary well and it's all because of the couple of DJs tastes basically yeah basically yes because it's you know it's a small community right. if one guy is the main DJ whatever he likes so that's why and and for the blues uh, <coughs> the the British so, so some of the guys who were important they like the British blues so some of these British bands uh, they they got pretty popular but the American artists 
not. So I remember when I done my first blues festival in 1990, then I I invited the champion Jack Dupree from from uh, New Orleans. Uh-huh. He's a black uh, black piano player from New Orleans. He passed away unfortunately, but so. Uh, but I think that was maybe one of the first uh, time when, when a black American blues artist uh, appeared on, on a Hungarian really? scene. I think he played once at the jazz festival in the 70s already. But so it wasn't really common. Like 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 uh, so, you know, most of those uh, those black American blues artists came to Vienna, but they never came to right. Hungary. There was one guy uh, who. who wasn't really a big player, but I remember the the Hungarian radio's jazz editor met him somewhere and invited him. So then he became a, a pretty much like like a big guy. I don't know if you've seen the Searching for Sugarman yeah. movie. So in in certain way, uh, South Africa and Hungary has many many similarities. Mm. Like, like it's an isolated market, and and somewhere like like Rodriguez wasn't really known in in Detroit, even in Detroit. Right. Not not talking about the, the entire United States, but he became more popular in in South Africa than than the Rolling Stones. Right, right, right. So strange things are happening. And, and the story I wanted to mention, like uh, when I was a uh, uh, young, like like seven, six, every Hungarian household had uh, had albums of, of a female Hammond player, Rhoda Scott. Who? Rhoda Scott. Oh yes, Rhoda, Rhoda Scott. Scott. She she's she's a great Hammond player, yeah. but uh, she isn't uh, as famous as as Jimmy Smith or, or Jack right. Duff or so. Yes, yes. But once uh, one of the Hungarian uh, record executives uh, met her or seen her at the Midam in Cannes. Uh, offered them a record deal and then uh, as, as we had a very very limited uh, choice of, uh, of uh, American music uh, she was the black American artist playing the Hammond B3 and she became very very popular and, and they, they produced uh, hundreds of albums uh, with, I, I guess your parents probably used to have some and, and they produced a few albums. Uh, her main uh, stuff was uh, during those years playing playing uh, uh, well-known songs uh, adapted to Hammond organ, like, like the like instrumental uh, versions, instrumental versions yeah. of Hair to Night of La Mancha, whatever. Right, right. And and so she was extremely popular. And and uh, like uh, huh. a couple of years ago, uh, I invited her her to Hungary again. Because I just thought, come on, when I was young, everyone knew her, so why not to bring her? And and, and she she's a lovely person. And, and uh, how did the shows go? The show, shows went very well. And 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 I just asked her, like, oh, Rona, it's, I, I, I knew your music for for when I was a very small child. And and how come that? I mean, no one. So she was much more famous uh, than than Ray Charles or Stevie Wonder or. Because no Amazing. one knew those guys, but but everyone knew Rhoda Scott. It's like <laughs> like New Year's Eve. They always had a big, uh, big funny television show on New Year's Eve with a lot of comedians, and and it's one You're of the most uh, famous uh, Hungarian comedian was was Hofi Geza, probably your parents know. And, and I, I remember in, in one year it was like like ten minutes sequence. Uh, he paradised Rhoda Scott. Really? <laughs> so, wow. so so she was the. American artist for the Hungarians, wow, wow. not one of the, the American yeah. artists. It's so amazing. It's just by kind of by chance. In a yeah, way. And, and and she said that back then, like like she played she played the biggest theaters for like like two thousand seated, Erkel, and and she even played the stadiums. 
Wow. Like, like, like the Kish Stadion where, where Red Hot Chili Peppers played a couple of years ago, then back in 72 or so, she played there with the Hammond <laughs> So, and that, that's what I wanted to I say that. That, that it was a very, very irrealistically built, uh, built music market. Right. And, uh, well, you were telling me this too, not to interrupt, but the whole structure of selling an album too. I mean, for to have a platinum album here is. It's 5,000 copies, yes? Or uh, well, no, it's, it's something like, I think it's four. Like, like I, I didn't get so platinum, platinum uh, for, for a while, but like, like a year ago or, or, or two years ago with the Quimby, we got platinum, and back then I think it was four. And then a gold record is what? The gold, is or maybe, maybe platinum was six and gold was four, or... Honestly, so it's ridiculous numbers. And back then, I mean, like like Rhoda Scott back in, uh, she they sold like like hundreds of thousands, like like two wow. three hundred thousand in, in a country for population of like ten million. They they sold like like uh, like like uh, couple, like back then a gold record was like hundred thousand units. Right. No, it's, if if you in in jazz or world music, I think it's thousand. Oh, the gold record. It's, it's, I was laughing like we didn't break even. <laughs> we already got yeah, a thousand copies ain't shit. So you didn't get back the studio expenses right. that you already put in. Well, it's funny too with uh, using her as an example for you know this Hungarian. In my opinion, or at least my knowledge, uh, I always feel like uh, you know Zaba Gabor Gabor Zaba. Oh. Um, was the, probably the most successful actual Hungarian artist who in the United States or abroad? Was that? Do you think that's pretty accurate too? Like a, as, hung, a Hungarian as far as artist, I know, recording artist, and and Gabor Szabó wasn't known here at all. He wasn't known at all. And uh, some albums got released, but I think I got aware of Gabor Szabó like like when when Santana played. Uh, uh, his song and and uh, then okay so let's let's find out and and there were some recordings uh, uh, before he he went to America, but uh, but he wasn't really famous here and right. and I think uh, back then uh, there was a guy called Erdős Peter who, who was the main producer and he he decided what uh, will be an album and what never and if he decided no wow. then. You might have the little chance to have some kind of underground success, but without a recording, without a radio airplay, it was really limited to, to the live music scene. Which, at the live music scene, you, you also had to apply uh, to just in order to be able to play. And it, it was a very bureaucratic system and not, yeah. not, uh, not, not the market regulated by the government and, and the culture government. So. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and all of the, those underground things, uh, they had to being part of a sort of a jazz scene, which was a little bit differently yeah. taken, or, uh, or or very very outside of the city centers, outskirts of town, and, yeah. uh, and so in, in the in the slabs and like like those guys, like like Bela Radic, who was one of the first. Uh, Hendrix kind of guitar player of Hungary. Uh, they they played a lot in 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 the in the Matyash films, but never they never made it to to downtown in the city. So yeah. in, in established places they, they couldn't play. Yeah. They could play in the in a little 
conference room of the of the bus factory or stuff like that. <laughs> but pe- yeah. but they had, they had lawyer following and people just right. went there and so it, there was a scene but uh, but it wasn't really well documented because right. it's, it's, they couldn't get a record deal and uh, and it's. Uh, it's still a lot of controversy and, and many books written about how much uh, uh, corruption it took and, and how much uh, the artist had to give up of uh, his or her uh, uh, values in order to get a record deal and you never really know all the details but yeah. apparently all of those guys who became very famous and got a record deal they had to give something to the government. Mm. But... Uh, you gotta, yeah, you gotta, you gotta pay. You gotta pay. Not, nothing, uh, nothing comes for free. It's... Uh, yeah. One way or another. And... Uh, Would you consider Keith Jarrett Hungarian? Keith Jarrett? Yeah. I never ever heard Keith Jarrett uh, had any Hungarian roots. Yes. I've seen her playing in Budapest. Have you? Yeah, she played the music academy. I don't... I think that was the first time he played. That was a right. jazz festival. It was nice. I remember one day was Keith Jarrett, the other day was uh, uh, Dizzy Gillespie. Wow. That was, that was a good That's one. That's great, yeah. It was like like 85 or so. What about Gene Simmons? That's, he's also mm-hmm. supposed to be Hungarian, partially Hungarian. Have you, have you heard this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But actually, at the end you find out. See, it doesn't really everybody count is. if you're half or a quarter, you know, in my opinion. I mean, it does, of course, but... To be like a Hungarian artist, I'm trying to make a connection between America and Hungary, as well as get some history and some perspective on, you know, the Hungarian music industry and the scene. I mean, it's it's a small one. Like you just came from a little conference as well, yes, um, and that was the different kinds of managers and promoters all gathered. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a summit where, where the Hungarian music industry. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's like the ILMC in London, but but it's. In a smaller scale and for, yeah. for only uh, it, it's only for the Hungarian do you see is there like um, a sense of unity amongst um, the, the, the guys it's, in the industry no it, it started to shaping it funnily it took like uh, I don't know how many so it's five years ago uh, was the first time ever when the Hungarian music industry gathered that was the first uh, music Hungary conference and and that's so it's still very new. What? Still very new. It's pretty new, and and before that, uh, it's it, it was either uh, governed by the government, and there was some 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 okay industry department, which fortunately ended at the turn of the eighties, nineties, and and the private music industry is just. Uh, didn't started to organize itself until now. Still not really well organized yet, but hopefully all of us will will, will understand that that together, united, we can we can reach much much wider goals than what we do individually. Yeah, yeah. And that was the main topic uh, on the conversation uh, beside the panels. 
So I'm, I'm looking forward if, if anything will happen. Because, you know, Hungarians are very good at talking and talking and talking, but uh, doing is, is not our forte. But uh, maybe, hopefully, this time. Well, if you arrange panels of people talking and uh, sell tickets so that people come and see, then, you know, you both you make money and you're able to talk and talk and talk and... And it works. No, I mean, I'm just kidding, of course. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, I just want to see the scene thrive. I mean, I'm such an outsider to it. I don't truly understand exactly how it works. But I'm, you know, with even us talking and the work that we have going on, too, uh, um, you know, it's it's something that I love to see grow in, in its own natural way. It, it really did change. So when, when I started, we didn't know anything about how this music business works. Yeah. So it was just a trial and error version. I remember when I've done stuff. I remember, and, and it's really, in certain ways, it's strange. Like, like in 1990, I done my first international festival, and and I remember how excited I was about the fax machine. Huh. Like, man, it's something. It makes life so easier, and how fantastic that you just write something, put it in, and it comes at the other end. Right. And man, now we have this iPhones and stuff like that doing I, and back then I, I, I used to book and manage band in the 80s where I don't have a, a landline telephone so where would you go? I, I went to the phone cell and put the Pay coins phone. in and, and, and called the, call the people and, <laughs> and, and, and I just you book a tour just in a payphone. something like that yeah wow. <laughs> because it was very very hard to get uh, how to get a telephone line Yes, and I know, I remember. It's hard to call in. It was oh, man, hard. And, and there was this uh, strange system. It, it was a very limited amount of telephone lines. And then uh, you had this uh, this shared. So you had yeah. one telephone line and uh, you shared with, with, with the neighbor. And right. while you were speaking, they could not. But sometimes they picked up and they could hear the conversation. It was really <laughs> weird right. stuff. And then, then I remember... like. Uh, in 1991 my daughter bo uh, was born and, and uh, back then I used to live in like 18 kilometers outside of Budapest and it was almost impossible to get a landline telephone into the house so <coughs> when they invented the phone card so I didn't have to carry a handful of coins <laughs> but the card it was already a big, uh, yeah, big improvement huge. And uh, yeah, you had to go to the place by by yourself and negotiate or call, and, and somehow it still did work. And uh, yeah, and and I remember. I mean, I, you're booking not only doing tours, but like curating festivals and stuff ooh, too, ooh. right? Yeah, we, we we did some festivals back then, and and later, of course, you had to have an office. But but sometimes we done even when we organize festivals like. And, uh, there was this COCOM list, so so the ex-communist countries couldn't buy high-tech equipment. So like uh, it was like if someone had a fax machine, you made some phone calls, but you know phone calls were very very expensive, uh, international calls. So sometimes you you sneaked into someone else's office or someone's parents' office, and okay, it was a 50-minute slot where you could. Uh, not officially use their phone and, and do all of your expensive international calls or, or you wow. you went to another office to send the, the contract back by fax machine because you couldn't buy a fax machine 
And then, then the first mobile phones appeared, and I had to buy a mobile phone because there was no way to buy a landline. So it was like yeah, a 550 first version of this big amount of something <laughs> heavy shit I had to carry. Actually, I still have that number. I did it. Wow. I don't like changing telephone numbers. I'm yeah. too lazy to, to tell everyone I have a new number. And so so I, I still have that number. And uh, what was the, What's the biggest gig you've done? I mean, you've done... You did the arena, yes, as far as a promoter or organizer? Um, it's, it's different. So, uh, for, for uh, venue-wise, uh, the biggest gig, uh, what we've done we, with this band, with the Quimby, we had, uh, we had a dedicated day at the Siget Festival. So, and, and we had like, like, I don't know exactly, but something like 50,000 people. 15 or 50? 50. Wow. 50. The arena, it was like, like this, uh, 12. Yeah, yeah. Key range, and and I think that was that was the biggest. And but a uh, single show, like in a venue, a theater, or a, and or uh, arena. you did a but you Quimby did do some the arena. Yes. Yeah, we did the arena twice as a headliner, a couple of times as a part of a show. Right. And uh, but but where, where we were the headliner, we had to sell the tickets. It was it was twice. It was what about as a promoter? Because you brought so many people here over the years. I mean, it's thirty years of bringing uh, touring artists here yes yeah we, we've brought quite a hundred of international acts to Hungary and it's, it's all kinds of back to one of your previous questions yeah ever since the 1990 I brought quite a lot of blues artists here so it's those are the most um, meaningful ones for you yes the most sentimental in certain way it's hard the most sentimental is where well, those acts which which were my heroes when I was very very young, like like like, I think in certain way, uh, Rhoda Scott was in a, in a certain way a sentimental. It was very sentimental in some ways uh, when, when I used to work with Jackie Wasatsky from the Sirius. It was in certain ways sentimental to to work with with some of those uh, guitar heroes of your youth, like like John McLaughlin, Paco de Lucia, Eldi Meola. Oh yeah, you I, I didn't brought them as no, no. I didn't brought them as a trio, but individually. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, no. Paco de Lucia didn't brought. Uh, I just met him at the festival where I had another act, and he was a super nice guy. And is John McLaughlin cool? John McLaughlin is very cool. He has a dry sense of humor. Nice. Actually, he he mocked me because uh, I've done uh, I done Shakti, his uh, his Indian thing, which is pretty cool. I really do like that. <coughs> but. Uh, I wasn't very good at uh, announcing the band on stage. And, ah. and it, was, <laughs> it was like, hey, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome on stage. I'm McLaughlin. And, and then, then <laughs> he went on stage and, oh, it's nice to be here. If everyone went to sleep, no, please. <laughs> <laughs> but but he, he's a cool guy and, uh, and uh, yeah, and, and an amazing musician. Yeah, cool. And, and he's, uh, he's Indian band. It's those guys are really amazing. It's, cool, cool. This was Trilo Gurtu and another guy, I don't remember, some some Barakarayama, is some, some long Indian name, who just played a little something like, like a tambourine but uh, but covered the double side. And, and it was mm. just a tiny little thing. He played the entire gig, but he he played the solo of like, like, like a 10 minute solo on that <laughs> tiny little thing. And it was absolutely amazing and it wasn't cool. boring for a second it's, cool. it's just like if you see a Cuban band and there's a guy who plays the maracas yeah. and gets a solo and you just but yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's really it was really amazing 
So and uh, and yeah, and I, I done a lot of my heroes like 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 George Benson, the Crusaders, and, and so a lot of nice. soul and funk stuff, Power of Power, and and I done a lot of stuff which which were. You love the guitar. You're the, a guitar guy, right? Uh, I mean George I, Benson, John McLaughlin. Yeah, they, they were guitar guys, but uh, but I, I really did enjoy uh, the gig with with John Cleary, who, mm-hmm. who was the piano guy. So I I don't really I don't like something better just because if it's guitar based I really do like uh, good music and, and right. so I, I, I done I really do like uh, trombone I, I so I, I I really did enjoy to work uh, Fred Wesley there's uh, nice. love Fred Wesley the uh, JB's yeah, yeah. I, I used to do a lot uh, with Messi I, I I've done I don't know like ten times and and I done I done uh, another round with with uh, PV and and Fred Wesley together. Mm. Unfortunately, I never done the three guys together. So mm. I've done Missy and I done PV and Fred together. So, and, nice. and it Did was. Did you ever bring like Parliament Funkadelic? Any funk acts? To uh, I, I done a lot of funk acts. I never done Parliament. I seen George Clinton and that wasn't really the well, best gig. Yeah, it was, George Clinton on his own is different. It, it, but. It, they were they were so fucked up that it's yeah. I, I wasn't sure I really want to do that. Yeah. And and as I said earlier, all of this uh, this uh, black American stuff uh, it didn't really happen hunger. So each and every time when when I done something like that, it it really required a lot of extra extra work. Well, a lot of time it must be their very first performance here too, right? Yes, and and many times they understood. So so maybe we could bargain and make that yes. happen. But still, like it it works with some artists, but for some artists like 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 for instance Benson, they just said, "Come on." It's, I mean, I'm George Benson. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but fortunately, ben- Benson is mainstream enough, so he uh, it, it did work pretty well. Where did he play? Uh, the first time, yeah, we did uh, in Sagat, in front of the Sagat Dome, and it was a nice, nice. open-air place. It was like 4,000 people, so it was a good one. And and I, I had nice memories with, with, with all of these guys. I really did enjoy to work with the uh, Art Ensemble of Chicago. I like that. Oh, wow. You, you Actually, Art I booked, Ensemble I booked, of, of Chicago. Uh, nice. I booked Lester Bowie, and and he just passed away, so he didn't make it to Budapest. It's one of my regrets. But it was with his breast fantasy. Cool. I'm so sorry it didn't happen because I really do like that guy. But even though I I done uh, Art and some uh, later without him, those guys Roscoe Mitchell and you did Roscoe Mitchell. Yeah, it was Roscoe Mitchell in the band, and uh, uh, who's the other guy? Oh shit, the original members of Art and yeah, I can't remember. I, I like I have like Roscoe Mitchell though. I solo and, crazy solo stuff. Yeah, so. but anyway, so that that uh, I really do like that that creative uh, creative way of playing music. I yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of like Frank Zappa. Sure. Uh, and and uh, and also I like uh, I like when when I don't like. Pathetic stuff. That's why I, I'm not a big fan of this of this metal scene. Yeah. Um, but I like I like guys who, who can who can who can have put put some irony into their mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and and can play and and laugh and, and enjoy. So so that's that's why my guys are more more like like Dr. John or or all of these New Orleans cats, all of these. And I, I like I don't mind if it's really fucked up. Like like sometimes. Uh, the way Mark Ribot plays, or the way uh, the Art Ensemble plays, uh, it's just maybe it's for uh, for casual listeners, it's it's uh, hard to enjoy. But in right. a way, if you just 
just uh, give a little bit of extra attention, you just find that it's very funny, and and it's yeah. and and uh, that's that's what I really dig with with Jean-Louis, and so I, I really did enjoy those gigs the most with 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 these uh, creative people, and and sometimes uh, live produce really really funny uh, events. Like I've done a I've done Deep Purple for for a corporate event at the Opera House, so it's already a kind of <laughs> kind of strange situation. Yeah. But it was for for the OTP Bank. Wow! So and a corporate gig with Deep Purple. Yeah, and uh, and. Uh, I used to work uh, with that company who, who organized the event, and they asked me if if I can if I can offer something, and, and I, I offered them several acts, and and among them I said well, actually Deep Purple might be available, and they said okay if they can do something for stage for for for, for a smaller stage like a theater stage instead of the arena yeah. thing, and and uh, and so we discussed, uh, and after we we came to the. Agreement. Then okay, they, they come for 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 a smaller backline and and, and adjust it. It was like Cirque du Soleil, Deep Purple, I think Presser Gabor, and maybe some some opera singer. Oh, cool. Something like everyone played like 30 minutes. So and and after so the uh, gig uh, happened, but uh, but at the time of the sound check, uh, the secretary of uh, of the bank uh, just came to me and said, "No, he, I should tell this guy this is this is way too loud." <laughs> <laughs> so this is come on. This is I cannot go to the deeper put to tell them, hey guys, you are too loud. <laughs> and actually, deeper put, they, they just they put a lot of backline on stage, but like 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 one third of their usual touring backline. Wow. And uh, and it's it, uh, so uh, we had, we had that argument. They came to me several times. I I, I approached the, the tour manager. Said no no no. I'm fired if I'm asking anything like that. Don't don't even. Have the idea Come to on, ask yeah. me, yeah, of and, and it's, it's, it's it's fucking deep purple, not that. <laughs> so. But uh, it went uh, back and forth, and 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 uh, I went to the sound engineer. I said, no, no, no I'm fired. It's, it's no way. And, but after all, I really so it, it was really we were we were yelling, uh, everyone's fuck off everything. So, and and I had to go to the band and ask them, hey guys, <laughs> here's the situation. <laughs> And How did they, they take that? And they were really cool. And uh, and and after all, they turned on and and we covered it. I'm, I was lucky because it was Steve Morse, the guitar player. So it was after Richie Blackmore. Probably I would have a harder time with Richie Blackmore. But it was uh, and and Dan Airy was the, the keyboard player because John Lord was was out of the band back then. Yeah. But but it was. Um, Roger Glover and Ian Pacey. Actually, Ian he's more jazz drummer than than a real heavy drummer. So yeah. his his drums wasn't very loud. Roger he played he put like like three eight by tens uh, on stage. It wasn't very low volume, but still manageable. And, and Steve he was very cool. We we covered here like like four four by twelve speakers, and, and we covered. All of the speakers, but one with, with some rug, and then we just put one mic on. on and, and so after all, so after I'm one of the few who turned on the purple. <laughs> so I've oh, produced some 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 funny stories. Yeah. Well, I love it, man, and it's such a great um, career and such great history, man. So I just appreciate your time, just sitting well, with you and talking with me. Well, we, we can continue. Anytime. Oh, yeah, I really yeah. did enjoy and, and appreciate your yeah. time. And Thanks and so much, Peter. That was awesome. I want to thank my guest, Peter, from this Peter to that Peter, 
You've been checking out the House List Podcast. It's my weekly podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Peter Agostin, the host and the MC. And every episode is edited and engineered by the one and only CJ Stewart. We both do this as a labor of love. It's a DIY thing just for you guys. And what can I say? I really appreciate it. And I would appreciate it even more if you subscribed on iTunes or subscribe on SoundCloud. Check me out on Twitter for updates, if you will, at HouseListPod. Yes. Thank you so much. What can I say? I'm back in New York. No, I'm back in Brooklyn. I started the episode in Budapest. Now, by the time I was done, here we are, back in Brooklyn. I'm back in my apartment. I'm looking I'm looking in the backyard. Listen, you can hear the birds. And I'm trying to adjust to being back in the United States. What an amazing trip it was to be in Budapest with my dad, see my cousins and aunts and uncles and visit that beautiful city. I couldn't recommend it more if you have an opportunity to go there. And what can I say? Many more episodes of The Houseless to come. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in. And I will catch you next episode. Here, let's listen to the birds a little bit more. (laughs) I guess they're being shy. Mike shy. All right. See you guys.